Welcome to Unboard, unplugged, unscripted board leadership. A conversation between boardroom leaders that covers leadership, priorities, and influence. Now, here's Brian Hayward. Pleased to be with Deborah Rosati today, who's involved with Women Get On Board, which I'm sure we'll, we will get into. But um, what I'd like to start off with uh, is, is sort of this typical uh, log ball question. We're on the ground floor in a building and hit the elevator button, doors open, uh, you hit five and I say, yeah, well, that's where I'm going to. So what brings you to the fifth floor today? Well, thank you, Brian. Delighted to be here on my fifth floor journey with you. I like to say I always wanted to be a businessman just like my father. And that's really what has gotten me to where I am. Uh, I am a businesswoman. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a corporate director. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. And I'm passionate in intersectionality of good governance and diversity on boards. And my goal, my social purpose is with Women Get On Board. And the mandate is quite simply to get more women on boards, one board at a time. Right. Ironically, uh, you know, this is kind of where we veer off of, of the, you know, the doors open on the fourth floor because you just said something. Is there something about your father that because you mentioned right off the hop and, and it's kind of intriguing. I, I might have thought, you know, there was this this woman that was a mentor that it was just something about how your father was was entrepreneurial that was that sort of sparked your thinking. Yes. Um, well, my father was a Dutch immigrant. He came to Canada when he was 14 years old and only spoke Dutch. And so to make it in life, he really was a self-starter. He was a you know entrepreneur in everything that he did. He went into the newspaper industry. So growing up, I would just see my dad going out every day, being very important, very dressed up and giving back to community. And I thought, I want to do what he does, whatever that might be. So he was an inspiration to me early on just being in business and he really has been um, no longer with me, but has always been a mentor, a supporter, a champion. Um, he didn't look at me as, Hey, your daughter, you go this way. He's like, Hey, you're, you're young, you're yeah. vibrant. I came to Canada for land of opportunity. You can do whatever you want. And so I would say for me, I never really thought of it. Hey, he's a man. I just thought of it. Hey, he happens to be doing very well out in the community. And I really liked his passion for doing well and doing good. So entrepreneurialism is, is an essence part of, of how you came at this. Uh, you know, what, what's been your most in interesting entrepreneurial experience? Oh, where do I start? Uh, delivering newspapers at 10 years old. Um, or, um, I would say for me, I've been involved in a lot of startups over the years and being more on an advisory CFO capacity investor, um, I think for me, my real entrepreneurial lean-in has really been in the last six years when I launched Women Get On Board as the founder and CEO in 2015. I really saw a gap in the marketplace where, you know, you needed to bring a community of, of very accomplished women and, and build that pipeline of the next generation of women corporate directors. So I just leaned in, took my passion for good governance, the community and, and the relationships I built and said, I'm charging ahead. And so I think really in the last six years, my entrepreneurial has really come from my own drive for me to do my social purpose and do good. Right. So, you know, was there, some people might look at what you're doing now 
and say there must have been some defining moment uh, where you were offended or you're and, and he's going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to change the world. But it, it sounds to me the way you're describing it, actually, it was more calculating that here's a gap in the marketplace. And, and I'm looking at this as, as a, as an, as a professional entrepreneurial opportunity, not, not a cause per se. Yeah. And I think the way I think that's well um, sort of, defined that way I think for me it was a combination of things I think and then the moment came was I was already by then serving as a corporate director I'd been serving uh, private company public companies it was it was coming up to 15 years in my career and I would always be asked by other women how did you get on a board and I know I know for certain I was not novel um, I also was getting to an age and stage in my career where my peers were transitioning from executive partner roles to this independent corporate director role. And I spoke at conferences, women in leadership conferences, and I actually titled my slide, Women Get On Board, and this was back in 2009, 2010. Um, so it was just something that was always evolving. And then I just, uh, the pivotal moment was, I, it was bigger than oneself and you know, I could do a coffee, a glass of wine, a conference, but I wanted to have a bigger statement. And I really wanted to empower that next generation of women corporate directors, which I didn't have. Um, mine all came opportunity and, you know, showing up and being present and, and speaking your mind and learning from the best um, and the brightest. But yeah, so it, it was an evolution over time, but it was a pivotal moment. And coincidentally enough, it did coincide with the 2015 OSC diversity um, disclosure practices, but it wasn't intentional. I had already had it on the drawing board in 2014 and then came out in 2015, but it, co it happened to coincide with the OSC complaint explained, but that was not the tipping point for me. So do you feel that there's been progress and, you know, if you're going to give, give a term paper grade on it, uh, I'm, I'm sure you'd, you'd say, well, the progress for, for, for women diversity generally isn't an A plus. Is it an F or where is it? <laughs> um, do you want my inner voice or my outer voice? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'll start with How about my both outer of them? voice. How, mm -hmm. I'll start with my outer voice. Um, and I would say that it's progressing, but very slow. And, you know, if you take the latest data, I like to use the Osler's, um, they do a diversity uh, disclosure practice every year. Their latest for 2020 came out in fall of 2021. And the number for all TSX listed companies is sitting just over 23%. And so if you reverse that and say, okay, that means that, you know, of boards, 77% of boards are made up of, 77% of the composition are men. And so, you know, we need to break, we need to build those networks. We need to add more women. And, and in the large TSX 60 companies, the number is over 30%. And that's tracking in in more pro uh, progressive way. But I would say that, you know, it's really got to start at ground zero. In companies that are just thinking about going public, you don't just show up and decide you need to have diversity on your board. You need to build that into the culture. You need to build that into the pipeline. And you want to start thinking about it earlier as opposed to, hey, I've, I'm going public. I don't have diversity on my board. And so, you know, if I had to grade it, um, you know, from 2015 to 20, 
20, you know, six, seven years later, I would say we're probably sitting at a, a D. So is that your outer voice or your inner voice? <laughs> That's my outer voice. My, my inner voice would probably be, you know, come on, we can do way better. Like a D is not really, is barely passing. Right. Yeah. Actually in, Back when I went to school, that was, I think they call it conditional fail or conditional pass, but you're on the bubble kind of thing. And, and yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll look plus. for another line maybe of work. Maybe a D plus, maybe a D plus. You know what, what I find interesting in your answer and just listening is the reference to IPO, Oslers, going public, TSX, TSX 60. I'm finding in my own work, I am increasingly being drawn to private equity. I'm being increasingly drawn to, to mid-stage companies as we move increasingly to a service economy, professional gig economy, the, 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 the capital markets. Uh, I mean, I guess they've got a, they've got business television networks that are, and, and they've got content requirements, but you're going to look at the grand sweep of enterprise generally. Uh, I, I, I find myself asking the question, maybe because of the bathwater I float around in, that is that really relevant? And is that, is that the face of business today? Is it the face of business in the future? And what are the implications then if, if the answer, because uh, you're going to agree with me, of course, is, is, is that that's changing, then, then how do you crack? How do you take what you're doing and crack into the pre-IPO, private equity, professional, giggy kind of enterprises? How do you do that's, that? That's a great question um, because that's the underpinning for the future, right? And so- I knew you would agree with me. Uh, thank you. What happens if I didn't <laughs> think you to stop the podcast well, we, right Yeah, yeah, we would edit that out. <laughs> I've got a digital Deborah there. They said, would say, I, oh, of course, you're right, Brian. <laughs> I knew we'd have fun. Um, so I, I would definitely say that there are, I call them agents of change. Those are champions for change. And you are a champion for change. And there's others out there that are saying, let's do the right thing. Let's, let's really build on this. Let's do, let's bring diversity to the board and inclusion and that is the right, it makes good business sense, you know, all the data tracks, better performance, better innovation, you name it, the data reflects it. So I think we all can be agents of change. We don't have to wait for a regulator to say it has to be a quota. Basically, clearly our compliant explain has not driven that, those changes significantly. But are you enough. in favor of quotas? No, I'm not. I'm not in favor of quotas okay. because to me, I think it should be the, you know, kind of, you know, the market forces creating, creating that. And so where I was going with agents of change, if you have more individuals that are champions for change that can bring it into the culture and it's not forced by a quota or otherwise, then you'll have more change happening. And there are some great examples out there of companies that are making change that are bringing it as part of their, it's not a quota it's part of their diversity um, practices, their diversity disclosure, but they're doing it because it's the right thing to be doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, my observation would be on the front is there's a bunch of people that are, you know, there was greenwashing with the environment movement. And there's, I don't know if there's even a term diversity washing where. And you know, like, I, I think I've heard something the other day and I'm trying to think of, yeah, diversity. Maybe we'll just come with a new term. We'll call it diversity washing for the sake of it. 
There's a gentleman I did a podcast with from South Africa. He came up with a term uh, that I liked, and I, I, I mentioned it a couple of times, and people react to it. And it's a check, uh, tick box governance. Well, it would be in that category if, if yeah. you had quotas and target, like the quotas would. Um, and, you know, around the world, we go globally. I mean, Norway was the first country to bring quotas in to have 40% of boards um, listed, publicly listed um, companies uh, have women on their board. Um, but, you know, in Canada, I mean, now you look down in the U.S. and you've got NASDAQ, right, basically saying, you know, you need to have a certain percentage. And if not, you might be delisted with the number of women diversity on the board. Um, and that, I think, I, I know you would probably know, you, you follow the trends as well, Brian. I think that has or is in front of SEC for approval right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's the private equity and then, and then the small, medium-sized businesses. Well, I've been on some boards where, you know, they're not slouches of companies. They've got several hundred uh, employees and they're, they're growing and and the board is composed of you know five people or or seven and then and then so then if you if you look at it from and those people are there in part because they they have some really incredible sort of almost apprenticeship kind of skill and 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 then so when you overlay on the, the concepts and ideas of term limits uh, and that kind of thing, it starts to, to, to break apart. And, and so, um, the, the, the other, the other thing is, is sort of these are thought experiments. And I was, I was, before, uh, we started, I was, I was contemplating sort of things that bounced around in my head. I was on the board of, um, one of the national health associations and put it that way, arthritis society. Okay. And we had a meeting, and, and, and there were scientists that were also on the board and somebody came in uh, one meeting and one of the scientists and said, um, we think we might have a breakthrough here. We might actually have a cure for arthritis. And I, I actually went, wow. And I, I put my hand up and, and I said, what does that mean for this organization? Because that's our purpose. And, and so my question, when I was thinking about you, I was going, you know, is are you are you looking to get yourself out of running an enterprise at the end of the day is is success that women get on boards is not is not viable anymore going in the future oh I, that would be that would be a dream come true because the advocacy is you know again to get one more woman on a board one board at a time um and so but then i think it has an ongoing element so if we get the numbers, we get to 40% or gender parity, wherever we get to, there's the ongoing community that we've created with women get on board. And Brian, as you know, we were very grateful to have you speak last week, last year. No, this year, still this year, sorry. <laughs> In May yeah. of this year, uh, you came and spoke. Um, we have a speaker series and you spoke, um, you know, on fireside chat, you and Scott Baldwin, and it was on your book, the great chair. And it was phenomenal conversation that we like to curate those kind of conversations and topics to empower um, women um, to be more confident, to be more effective in the boardroom. And there was something that you said there that was really resonated and I've taken it away if I may share. 
Oh, absolutely. I see. I'm old I, enough now that I've, I I can't remember what I said. So please. So it, it resonated because I do a lot of programming. I do. We have a mentorship program. We've got a getting board ready program that we collaborate with LHH on. Um, there was something you said is that, you know, to lean in, in your leadership roles from a governance perspective. And what that says to me is just don't show up, just don't be on the committee, but lean in, take on a chair role, take on perhaps a chair of a committee. And, you know, if the opportunity comes, why wouldn't you chair the board? And, and I, it it resonated with me because you articulated that so well. And I think a lot of women come and say, Hey, I don't sure if I'm worthy enough to be on the board. And it's like, yes, you are. And by the way, you should be stepping up and putting your hand up to be chair of a committee or the board. Yeah. I, 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 I don't recall saying that, but it's, it's how I feel in, in, because I think it's to some extent what in my experience, and I, it's, it's always really dangerous to generalize, but sometimes it's, it's like the women I've seen on boards are, are, they've got a finish line. It's like running a marathon and they, and they bust through that yellow tape and they're there and I'm going, Oh no, no, that's just the start line. Okay. That's the start line because now you're there. You've got, you, you need to and put, put your hand up and say, I'd like to do this. Um, or can somebody, can I be vice chair or something? And, and, and I'd like to be involved in the succession process. What do I need to do? to be able to be effective and be part of this team and move the organization forward. So, you know, I, the, the other issue I, I, is a controversial one sometimes, because when, when men like me get you know, sort of talking and say, well, there's, and I don't know if you've observed this is there's, there's women that are kind of board hogs. So there's a bunch of very qualified women that, are, are there. They tend to be actually demographically, I, but just my own observation without any statistical foundation is probably between the age of 50 and 65 and, and white, and they are on four or five or six boards and, 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 and they want to be on another one. And, and how do you, do, do you have thoughts about that? <laughs> is oh, is all of what thoughts. I just said, do, is all of what oh. I said, Go ahead. (laughs) Thank you from seeing it from your eyes. The way I look at it is that there is the concept of overboarding, as you know. And in the UK, that concept of overboarding is if you're on more than four public company boards, you're no longer considered independent and you're overboarded as well. No, not so much that you're independent, but you you just can't take you, you, you just can't take another one on. And I see women do this. They try to add and they keep adding and they keep adding. And my question to them is, is that, so if you're adding to your board portfolio, what are you stepping off of? Secondly, if you're saying no, and it's okay to say no, who are the three other women you're going to put forward? Because we need to elevate each other. We need to elevate the community. And so I do see that group. And then you reach out to them if opportunity presents and if they do say no, it's just no, but I've seen other women say, no, I can't capacity, but here are three other women. And so that is really my messaging is that, you know, is really be uh, true to yourself. Like I think I, you know, I don't know how many boards you serve on, Brian. Um, I currently serve on two public company boards 
and I run and my, my passion is women get on board. And so I have no further capacity beyond any other public company board at this time. And I've managed that for the last few years. But the amount of time that you have to lean in, as you know, and you might be going through a transition, you might be going through a succession planning you know, it could, it's a multitude of things. And the last thing you want to do is be a board member that's not available for the company. And I just had a conversation with the chair of a nominating corporate governance committee. And she told me that somebody came off their board and I said, Hey, how did you make my curious mind? Like your brain was like, Hey, how did that happen? Well, we went through a board evaluation and it was quite clear that that person was not available, not for the corporate calendar meetings, but for all those other meetings that happen in between. And and it was true. He just did not have the capacity. And so he stepped down gracefully, but through the process, due process. And, um, and I think you just have to be honest to yourself is, you know, is it, are you getting on that board to check the box that you're on another board or does it align with your passion and your purpose um, and, and where you are, or maybe rather than diluting and having a, you know, being on a multitude of boards, why don't you focus on one or two of them and take on real leadership roles? Yeah. Part of, part of it. Um, and and uh, this is a self-serving, uh, a self-serving kind of statement, but I, I, I do feel that uh, directors are underpaid in, in, in Canada, at least. And, and in, especially, you know, you can look at listed companies to go back to that universe and say, okay, that they're, they're fairly paid or maybe even overpaid. But when you're looking at the, the, uh, the startup world or the mid midsize enterprise, the, where the founder's still involved and, and basically will have a, an attitude that, you know, I don't really want this board because uh, they're expensive. <laughs> they, they, you know, it cost me, uh, you know, I have five directors and paid 50, there's a quarter million dollars and that I can actually avoid. And, and it, I got to where I am without those, that board. So why do I need it? And, and, but, and, but I think the, the corollary to all of that is that for people that have chosen to be professional directors and maybe got a designation in there, et cetera, to be say, well, you're congratulations. You're a director. Uh, we pay $15,000 a year that the, the, the outcome, natural outcome is going to be, well, I guess I can do that, but I'd like to be on three or four of those or five because now it becomes a critical mass. And I, how, how do we deal with the challenge of the valuing governance? I, I find myself asking myself that because days when I'm spinning my wheels, I go, you know, am I just talking to, to me, the big echo chamber here? <laughs> so, do you ever have those moments? Oh, many times. So I, you know, I kind of put some, some rigor, some, I don't want to say rules, but some, some guidelines. Cause I get asked that question a lot by women. We work closely with companies. We have a board shortlist service that we um, provide and working closely. One recently was with the, with the, not the founder because it was a new CEO that came in and he was trying to change the board out. And it was a publicly listed company leaving names out and um, the other board member. And it was, it was not a diverse board. And so the change was trying to create a diverse board, but at the same time um, they weren't prepared 
and and they, in my opinion, if you're asking opinions, they were overpaid for what they were doing based on benchmarking. And they weren't prepared to bring another board member in because they didn't want to reduce their, their board fees. And so are they acting, here's my question back to you, are they acting in the best interests of the company? Or are they acting in the best interests of themselves? <laughs> um. Well, I, I think that's where it's it's fascinating having been on boards uh, and chairing them, and 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 then and the whole issue of of director compensation. Fundamentally, we're all conflicted, especially if you're a chair of the board. How do you even recuse yourself out of being you? <laughs> and, and and so, um, I mean, I I I have my own, I suppose. Uh, gut feel on what's fair or not. I see people on public companies that I go, give me a break. There's just no way that person should be paid what they are, especially because for, for larger public companies where the money's really sizable, there's so many guardrails around in terms of advisors and committees and processes that you know the real expertise. I was talking to somebody who's who's actually on the board of one of the big banks, and I said, "I'm not sure I'd want to be on there, except they get paid. A, you guys get paid a lot, don't you?" He says, "Yeah." He said, and I said, "It's also boring." He said, "Well, yeah, except he said, except for the times when we actually start talking about the global economy, then it's interesting." But he said, "That's so so mostly it's just we sit and listen to reports." And, so, you know, I think it's a balance. Um, and so to your point on, on governance and, and director's compensation, I chair a nominating corporate governance and we're just going through. And I put, interesting enough, when I joined that board, when you talk about put your hand up, um, you know, joined it last December, they were just forming a nominating corporate governance committee. And I put my hand up and I said, by the way, that's the one I want to chair. <laughs> I, I felt confident to do it. I felt confident to do it. And I thought I'm going to take this one on. So it has been an evolution um, to build out governance, to build out the governance practices and the company is uh, CSE listed and someday hopefully uplisting. So get those governance fun foundational pieces. And so one of the things that we had to under a compensate and nominating corporate governance committee mandate is to review the director's comp. And so, you know, rather than kind of putting your finger up in the air and say, hmm, that feels good, that feels right. And again, you're conflicted as a director to kind of say, no, I think I'm worth more. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you go through an evaluation process and you can use external advisors. There's yeah. lots of benchmarking out there, um, but that you put due process in place so that, you know, to me, where I would feel comfortable was to say that, it, that we undertook a process and we believe it's fair and reasonable relative to our peers, to the industry, et cetera, et cetera. What I would have a hard time doing is approving something that I didn't have any data or any benchmarking against because I do not want to, as chair of a nominating corporate governance committee, have my name withheld because I'm paying and getting too, paid too much as a director. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, even the advisors are, are conflicted because I, I've seen it where, you know, I mean, if I'm dealing with X, Y, Z advisor and they come in, they say, well, uh, Deborah, you're actually uh, 
I, th- I think you're, you're quite fairly paid. As a matter of fact, maybe overpaid. But then there is ABC advisors say, oh, Deborah, you're, you got, you're pretty good. <laughs> we, we want to hear that and, report. And then, Thank you. Yeah. And then, and now we're going to do the next iteration where we're going to review comp one year from now. Guess who you're going to hire? <laughs> It's, it's marketing by, by those. Yeah. So we can't get away from it. And I, the reason I sort of poke at this stuff a bit is, is because again, if the future is much more PE uh, and, and the benchmarking sort of is, is less relevant than, than, and you want quality directors uh, that, that, and, and they, you know, you don't want overboarding. Be for the purposes of, of bulking up four times 15 or something like that. Um, we we kind of need to get at this at, and, and, and have a, a conversation about value add. Uh, what I do uh, in part, because I've given a couple of talks on why should you have a board? And I said, well, I was for, for several years, I was on the business development bank of Canada, BDC's risk committee. And one of the things that actually we would look at in terms of approving a loan or not is whether there was a board. And, and I always tell people, you look at the credit spread and the covenants that you have on your bank loans, and you don't think there's a tangible aspect that's, that's dollars and cents about governance. I can tell you that if there's no board and there's a founder that's 70 years old and looks like when the due diligence is done, he's about to keel over and have a heart attack and there's no succession plan or board, your credit spreads are going to be higher and, and your covenants are going to be tighter uh, bottom, you know, full stop. Um, and that's why you can actually, you should be measuring what, what value you get out of boards. But anyway, I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> I love it. Well, we said we have ongoing. Um, and so for me, if I step up, you know, one of my, um, you know, what I bring to the table value add is I see there's two elements of value add as a director. There's your fiduciary. So fiduciary duty of care, loyalty, all of those fiduciaries. And then you have your, your really unique skills of what you really, your essence of who you are and how you, and, and those aren't taught, those aren't, you know, you don't go to ICD and get those skills, those value add, those are what you bring. Um, and so when I think of, when you're asking about, uh, we're in an elevator and I always talk about my elevator patch um, when, when I'm defining myself to the world from a director perspective, I like to say, if we were only going to the first floor, Brian, if we were going back on that elevator, I would say that I, I'm, I have entrepreneurial financial and governance uh, experience in high growth transformational companies in technology, retail, consumer, and life science sector, period. So now we're going to go to the top of uh, a new World Trade Center, and you've got a really long elevator. I, what? What? what you, I, I'm always interested in people's stories, transformation. What if you had a defining moment that that you think, "Wow, that was really that was wild," and I, that was my moment of you know transformational governance. What would that be? We all have them. That's a good question. I would say transformational um, was I joined a board. It just went public in 2017. It was in the cannabis sector. The company was called MedRelief. And I came in and they brought in four new board members at the time. 
And I, we were sort of like, okay, I'll chair audit committee. You chair this committee. And, and we just came together. And within 14 months, because the industry was evolving, it still hadn't been legislated. And I was leaning in and I can tell you, there weren't a lot of people. So transformation means emerging, emerging industries, emerging, emerging companies. Um, we came in and, and also it was a public company. We had to report as a public company. So in that, within 14 months, the company got acquired for $3.2 billion. And it was transformational, I would say, for me in the sense of leaned in, got in there, worked closely with my board colleagues, and um, the timing was right. And then we went into a special committee, of course, and, you know, the chair of the board, and I still remember this because I think I have pivotal moments. He said, okay, we're all going to lean in on the special committee. And Deborah, you're going to lean in on the due diligence. Didn't mean I was going to be doing the due diligence. But as you know, when you're in these transactions, you've got every advisor around the table. And so, you know, he really empowered me and said, okay, you're going to lean in here and the other person is going to lean in here. And so we just leaned in and made it happen. And there was a lot of ups and downs. And I really feel that was transformational because it brought the company from just going public to this, creating this huge value and following it right through to, and you know, all the un things that can happen on the 11th hour to right to the shareholder meeting that approved the transaction. Um, saw it from beginning to end. And in that period we had, I mean, money was just coming. We had secondary offerings, bought deals, you know, within that time period, we probably raised, you know, another two to $300 million. And then that transaction, that was transformational. Um, not only from like from a governance perspective, but also from a value creation. Yeah. And I, again, I think that's where somehow is because I, I would say we're both in this universe of governance professionals, even though we're not, uh, faculty of Rotman. Uh, but I, th I think the, the value of governance is, is we're not, we, we as, as people in that, in that bathtub don't do a good job of articulating, uh, and, and I guess it's self-serving to say, Oh, you know, what I do is really important, but I look at, I'm involved in a not-for-profit where we just went through a bit of angst on whether or not, we should have uh, what was our policy on vaccination, and um, and I I actually just put my hand up and said and and I was kind of the the only person articulating was say one death is too many, and and that became the mantra uh, that drove some uh, you know a policy being developed because I said I don't want to be on a board where somebody died unnecessarily, so one well, death yeah, is too. Yeah, I think you do. I think you do have to put uh, stakes in the ground and lean in. I use that and, and I go learn up too, because you may not know everything. Um, and so, you know, when I do join a board, when I am evaluating, you know, am I the right fit? Are they the right fit for me? What are my contributions? You know, culture is such a big element of it. You know, they can have the best strategy. Um, but I feel for me positioned is small to midsize as well, where, you know, not necessarily all the governance has been defined that you can lean in and add value in ways that you're creating and forming, you know, and in my particular case, it happens to be emerging industries. I'm in a blockchain technology board that I joined last year too. Um, so I think I take, there's an element of risk, but then you can then marry up good governance practices, but you don't want to be governance heavy because I'm not coming at it from an academic perspective. I'm coming at it as a practitioner, as a, as a serving board director. 
Yeah. You've actually stated it way better than I, I was putting it forward is, is yeah, it's, you don't want, you're not coming at this thing from, from the point of view of, of ticking the back to my South African friend, uh, checkbox governance. It's, it's not that way at all. And well, and the last thing you want to do is show up and they're like, Oh, there was that governance talk again. And so you, you know, you're, you're very mindful of where you want to go, but you've got to time it and prioritize it and collaborate and not come across that you're this governance, you know, guru and, you know, thou shalt do, you know, it has to have a balance and it has to be prioritized. Yeah. And, and it, it permeates everything. I just was involved in, in uh, moderating uh, something on the, the governance of law enforcement. We did not have huge audience per se, the conversation was fascinating and because and it, it speaks to what we all do every day, public safety. And, and do I feel like if my kids go outside, uh, are they, you know, do I have to worry about what's going on on the street and, and et cetera. And, and, and it fundamentally at the end of the day, it, you know, it, it gets televised as defund the police or do this and, and, but really, at the end of the day, it's it's not even money. It's about funding the for funding the police or not funding the police. It's it's more, you know, how do we actually organize ourselves and make sure that we're actually making high quality decisions? That yes, they're going to be wrong sometimes because we're just human beings. So, well, uh, Deborah, um, always <laughs> I I love your stuff. I I I come at um, diversity maybe from not from a different point of view, you surprised me more that it was an entrepreneurial opportunity. I look at it as just common sense business because, uh, and organizational development. I, the guy that, uh, was my best man, uh, is a VP of HR 20, 25 years ago, we were sitting there saying, you know, in the, in the 2020 de- decade, there's going to be demographic problems. And, and there's going to be a dearth of uh, individuals, talent. And, and you see that with unemployment rates generally today. And, and there's this pool of individuals that we need to engage with and, and, and make sure that they're fully engaged in, and motivated. And that is diversity from a point of view of, of practical business, not social do-gooding. I, I say it, at the end of the day, it's a business imperative. It's just the right thing yes. to do. And I think I, the entrepreneurial opportunity really married up with my passion for governance and the two intersecting coming together. And it wasn't one thing that I said, Hey, when I grow up, this is what I want to do. It just evolved and it felt right. And I had a, such a supportive community um, to build and grow and continue to, you know, flourish and, and leverage and, and collaborate with, you know, governance, uh, I'm going to call you a governance practitioner. Um, (laughs) Uh, Well, we we all are, right? And I know who our friends are. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's what gets me excited because I know it's not me that gets excited about it. It's it's all of us. And and we're elevating it into the 21st century. Like you said, when you got into the 2020s, now we're into the 2020s, 22 uh, coming up. And, you know, I... I think you come into, I also would, my one thing I'd like to tie back on the compensation is I always say you don't get rich being a director. You have a service to do. 
And the most important thing is that you're getting paid for your value contribution and value can be valued in so many different ways. But I'd say you come because you do have a purpose and you do have fiduciary and you have to show up with that um, first and foremost. And then the compensation should really be there to, um, you know, compensate you for the value that you're contributing. Yeah. Pay yourself forward, I suppose, in, in a way. Uh, Deborah Rosati, thank you for being with me today and, and the conversation. I appreciate your support and, uh, and, and I appreciate the work that you're doing and, and the, the passion that you bring to it. So thank you very much. Unplugged, unscripted board leadership. This is Unboard.